So we are starting the book of 2 Peter. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the the comfort of your love and the fellowship of your spirit. And God, we want our lives to be useful and effective to build up believers and share the love of Jesus Christ with those that don't know you. And we do pray for our community, the Lord, those that are lost and hopeless and really struggling. And we pray that each of us would have opportunities this December to to look out of ourselves, to look out of even our our own homes and reach out to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. We we pray over our Christmas celebration services and ask that you would bring the lost here and that many would come to know Christ as their Savior. And tonight as we study the word, may we be built, built up and equipped and may we truly fully take advantage of everything that you've offered to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a gift card that you had every intention of taking advantage of, but then when it came time, it finally came time, you got the family together to go to that restaurant, or you're ready to go to Target to to purchase what you've been waiting for, you, you lose the gift card, you know? It's in that drawer in the kitchen, and you're going through the drawer, and you're like, I know, I know it's here somewhere. Or maybe you use a gift card, and you use it 80%. You know, what happens to that other 20%? Do you go, oh, well, you know, just, just another 20% or, or lose it? Or do you fully take, take advantage of that? You know, gym memberships, that's a great way to make money. Why? Because we're going to feel guilty after this month. Or you're going to start to think, man, I need, to, I need to have a gym membership, you know? 24-hour fitness, I could go 24 hours a day. You know, that's, they're available. They're kind of like the Lord. They're always available. So, so... <laughs> Go in and you sign up and sign up for that contract. And then how many times do we not take advantage of uh, a gym membership that is, is offered to us? Or, or college tuition, college money. You know, maybe parents, you were fortunate enough to set aside money for, for your kids to, to go to college. And did they take advantage of it? Did they use it? Did they, did they go to college? You know, God forbid some college students go and flunk out, don't they? And they don't fully take advantage of that opportunity that, that, was, that was given. So the title of our message this evening is Take Full Advantage. Take Full Advantage. We're going to see that God has given us his divine promises, his divine power, and his divine nature. I mean, those are amazing gifts that the Lord has given to us. He's, he's promised them to us. And through faith and relationship with Christ, we can fully take advantage of those and grow in our relationship with Christ. Before we get into this book, with it being our first study, let's do a little bit of background. If you've been studying with us, you're familiar with Peter. So I'm not going to go over his history again with us. If you missed First Peter, go back and, and take a listen on the, the internet to, to that. But what's specific to this letter is we know that Peter is coming to the end of his life. So when you come to the end of your life, you know, what's important to you? You know, what are the things that you would really want to, want to share? And that's what we find from, from Peter. And his theme is reminder. He's bringing this group of believers back to a place of remembering. And he says that he's not ashamed or he's not going to apologize for reminding them of what they already know. 
you would think maybe at this point in Peter's life, he'd be looking for and fascinated with something new. He'd say, I feel this pressure to, to share something new with these believers that, that they've never heard before. Or, or maybe he's taught some of these things over and over and over again. He knows them like, like the back, back of his hand, but he's not necessarily concerned with something new. He's concerned with, are we applying what we already know? So, so he's going to remind us of things so that we would put these things into to practice. And we're very susceptible to forgetting. We see the children of Israel in the Old Testament. One of the things that plagued them is that they would forget God. In Deuteronomy 32, 18, God speaks and says, Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. That's quite a statement. So here's, here's the God who has fathered you. Here's the rock that's begotten you, but yet you've forgotten God. A lot of ways our culture in America, we have forgotten God. We, we've forgotten the God who, is, who has blessed us. Then in Jeremiah 2, verse 32, can a virgin forget her ornaments or her bride her attire? Can you imagine a bride coming to her wedding ceremony and being like, oh, I just forgot the bride, or I forgot the dress. You know, I wasn't really worried about, about the dress. Yet my people have forgotten my days without number. So God's saying, you, you have, you've forgotten me. You've gone through so many days where you've forgotten me. And then Hosea 13, verse 6, it says, when they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. When they were filled, they forgot me. So, so we need to be careful that we don't forget God. It, it, it seems like that would be difficult to do, but yet, so many times, that, that's our experience. We go through our days without being mindful of the Lord. So we're going to be stirred up by the way of reminder in our study this evening. In verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter includes both of his names. Simon was his given name by his parents, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. Simon means shifting stand or, or small stones, but Peter means rock. And that's exactly what Jesus had done in his life, is Jesus caused him to go from shifting sand. Peter was kind of all over the place. He was hot and then cold and passionate and then yet forsaking, and God was committed to Peter and caused his character to be like a rock. And God loves to rename us. He loves to give us a name that identifies his work in our lives. And the first thing that Peter says is he says, I'm a bondservant. And the word there in the Greek is doulos. It means slave. It's a slave by, by choice, saying I've surrendered my, my life to Christ. The Christian life flows in and out of surrender to Jesus. And surrender to the Lord is continual. It, it's not just we surrendered years ago, but today, this evening, and our flesh, our selfishness, our desires are very strong, and oftentimes we're wrestling with the Lord, and we need to be reminded, man, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave by choice. I, I serve Jesus. My life belongs to Christ. He has bought me with a price. But Jesus isn't going to force us to do that. That's something that we get to choose to do. And here Peter is an old man, he's walked with the Lord for a long time, but he hasn't grown out of being the servant of Jesus Christ and surrendering to the Lord. He also introduces himself as an apostle. Apostle means to be sent out. 
many ways how we think about someone who pioneers a work uh, today. It's a gifting and calling from, from the Lord. And Peter had great influence and spiritual authority from the Lord. And this is who he's writing to. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who have obtained, some translations use received, those who have received like precious faith. He's writing to believers. Precious speaks of honorable or valuable, how how valuable our faith is to us. It's a word that's used many times by Peter. Uh, He says the precious blood of Christ, the precious cornerstone, precious faith, precious promises of God. So he's writing to those who trust Christ, who have received Christ by faith, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are trusting in Christ. We're trusting in what he's done, his righteousness, that brings us forgiveness of sin. Now, cue in on verse 2. This is comforting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the common greeting that we find in, in these letters. Grace was the Greek greeting, charis. Shalom, peace was the Hebrew greeting. It's always in this order where grace is before peace. We experience the grace of God, the kindness of God, the favor of God. And then that results in peace. And Peter's prayer and his desire, this is more than just a greeting, is that grace and peace would be multiplied in these believers' lives. Abound. That they would abound in experiencing grace and peace. So how does grace and peace abound in our lives? It comes in knowledge of God and of Jesus. And knowledge is speaking more of just an academic head knowledge of Christ, We may know about a a historical figure, but this is speaking of intimate and personal knowledge with God. And as we have that relationship with God, grace and peace abounds in our lives. We we experience his favor, we experience his his peace, we we experience his overwhelming love and joy. So, So may grace and peace be multiplied to you in Christ, in your relationship with him, and in the knowledge of the Lord. And we always need more grace. We, we, we always provide the Lord with more material, which would then cause him to need to be gracious to us. And, and then the peace that results from knowing his grace. In verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So take advantage of, number one, his divine power. His divine power has been given to us in all things that pertain to life and godliness. This, this word divine, it speaks of God. It, it's who God is. He alone is, is divine. And we have access to his divine power to everything that pertains to life and godliness. I actually think that this is a really convicting verse. It's an ouch verse. What do I mean by that? Is it hurts. Because the reality of verse 3 means if I am struggling in a pattern of sin, the problem is not with God, the problem's with me. And a lot of times when it comes to struggles with sin in my life, I want to think that I don't have enough power to overcome. I want to think that for some reason, I really can't live differently. 
And here Peter says, and he says, that's not true. In fact, all power has been given to you for life and godliness. God has provided that freely at the cross where Jesus died and rose again. And in receiving his son and the power of the Holy Spirit with that, God has given us everything necessary in order to have a godly life that that honors the Lord. So I can get over my anger. I I can get over covetousness. I, I don't have to continue in this lifestyle of sin. When Jesus died for our sin, the power of sin was broken as well. So am I fully taking advantage of that power? Am I accessing that power? And we're going to find that the access point, the connection point, the download, if you would, comes through the knowledge of Christ, comes through relationship with Christ. Because we may be asking, okay, well, this has been given to me, but how do I take advantage of it? Because I keep struggling in this particular area of sin, and my character seems to be defeated in this way. And And it's through knowledge of Christ. It's through relationship with Christ. That's then how his power is accessed in our our lives. I want to challenge you. Do you believe this? I mean, I think most of us would say tonight, you know, I I believe the word. You know, that's why I'm here. I believe that this is inspired, inherent word of God. But a lot of times our behavior doesn't reflect our belief, does it? You know, we continue to live in a place of, of being defeated in sin, and we, we accept that it's always going to be a part of our life. Now, don't get me wrong, we're always going to be tempted with sin, and yes, we're going to continue to sin until we go home to be with the Lord, but what this verse is saying is that what's provided in Christ Jesus is victory, and that we don't have to continue to sin, that we're no longer slaves, slaves to sin, and this makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? This, this causes us to, to be challenged by the Lord and say, man, I could tap into God's divine power. God's given me everything I need to be a godly husband. God's given me everything I need to be a godly dad. God, God's given me everything I need to honor him in, in, in my work and be someone who loves my neighbor as, as myself. All that has been, been provided. And the amazing thing is this is all part of God's grace. You know, It is similar to a gift card that just, you're blessed with it. It's like, here you go. All you got to do is is take advantage of it. All you got to do is believe it and receive it. And this has been given to to us if we will access it. And it says at the end of verse 3, it's so important, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So how is this divine power brought into our lives? It's through the knowledge of him. How is creep? Grace and peace multiplied in our lives through the knowledge of him, through spending time with him, being in his word, and and being in in worship of the Lord, really experiencing him and and walking with him. And notice this this calling of life and godliness, it's by his glory and his virtue. So he's inviting us into this. He's calling us into this by his glory. He's saying, Eric, I want you to live this way, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. And the way you're going to experience that power is by having knowledge of Christ, having relationship with with Christ. A lot of times we want a different answer, honestly. We want techniques on how to be a husband. We want techniques on how to be a godly wife. You know, we want to read 10 steps about how to be an effective worker. And here what Peter's saying is he's saying it's Jesus. It's knowing him, it's walking with him, it's, it's obeying him. 
And as you experience the, the knowledge of Christ, that personal and intimate knowledge of Christ, then you're going to begin to experience his divine power for, for life and godliness. In verse 4, by which we have, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. So according to God's glory and his character, by those things, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. So number two, take full advantages of divine promises. Divine promises. How does Peter describe the promises of God? He says exceedingly great. Really awesome. Exceedingly great promises. And then we have this word precious again. Precious promises. Valuable promises. So not only do we have access to God's divine power, but we also have access to his divine promises. An amazing way to read the Bible is to underline or highlight the promises of God. And when we begin to hold on to the promises of God, we realize how great they are. They're really beyond description, and they're beyond value. And the amazing thing about God's promises is they're unwavering. They're they're not going to change, you know? They're timeless because they're based in his very character and nature. And we access those promises of God for life and godliness. And what a treasure that the Lord has given to us. We think of a few promises of the Lord where Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We're never going to be left or forsaken by the one who it matters the most, Jesus. He's always going to be with us. I get tired of myself. I get tired of being with myself. But I can't get away from myself. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. We have the promise of God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. That's all been promised to us through, through the word of God, his divine promises. You maybe have had people that have let you down in your life. You know, how, how much can you trust a, a promise from a fallen human being? But you can trust God and his promises that he's given to us. We've been promised that we have a prepared eternal home, heaven, that God has prepared a place for us. And so we hold on to those, we access those, we take full advantages of the promises of God. The word of God is the anchor to to our soul. It's what sustains us, it's what gets us through. We don't allow our, our emotions to dictate the day or take us for a ride. We say, these are the these are the promises of God. These have been given to us and they're exceedingly great and they're, they're precious promises. I can't say enough about this. The power of God that's given to us through the knowledge of Christ and then also his promises and for us to, to really take advantage of those. It goes on in verse four that through these, through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped corruption that is in the world through us. Now, the third thing to take advantage of is divine nature. Saying here that you get to be a partaker of God's divine nature. And the word partaker, it means to share. 
It's very similar to the word koinonia in the Greek. Koinonia is to, to share in common. God is, is sharing his very nature with us. Now, please don't misunderstand. Don't come up with a false teaching with this. This is not saying that you are gonna be God. This is gonna be saying through God's grace, you're gonna be Christ-like. You're, you're gonna take on the nature of Christ, the likeness of Christ. You're gonna be a partaker of, of his divine nature. But we don't wanna come up with some weird religion where we think that we're on track to become a God. There's only one true and living God, and I think we all know we're not it, right? If you you don't know that, let me just tell you, you are not God, right? But this is saying you're going to become Christ-like. You're going to be able to, to walk in his likeness, and it's the promises of God that allow us to be partakers in Christ's likeness. And so there's really only two ways in our text that we see that we can take advantage of these promises. And one is the knowledge of Christ, that intimate and personal knowledge of Christ. And then the second is the promises of God. And as we access the promises of God, we're going to become Christ-like and we're going to have victory and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. You know, this is a little bit encouraging to me because sometimes... I get overwhelmed at what I perceive to be the darkness of our day. And and I I think I can tend to see things inaccurately that there's always been the corruption and lust in the world. Peter and believers of his time were dealing with the world system, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and, and the pride of life. And we can almost think because we have technology and there's so, so many evil things that are accessible that, man, for us and our kids, there, there's no hope. Do you ever feel that way? And yet, Peter and these believers were facing the same corruption that we're facing here, and God's answer has always been the same. And we can escape the corruption of this world. We can escape the lust of this world, and it's through the promises of God. It's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ that's going to cause us to live in a different stream. And that, that's really encouraging. You know, the answer for Peter was Jesus in the Word. The answer for us is, is Jesus in the Word. And as we focus on Christ and focus on His Word, He's going to take us out of that corruption that's, that's in the world and the lust that, that, that's in this world. But there's definitely two streams, aren't there? You're, you're, you're swimming and living in one stream or the other. In verse 5, but also for this reason, giving all diligence. So we have these amazing things that God's given to us. His divine nature, his divine promises, his divine power. But then God asks something from us. As we have received his grace, he then wants us to give all diligence, to pay close attention and to press in. The language is is saying, the word of God is saying, everything that's inside of you, give yourself to these virtues. Give yourself to these virtues characteristics. And we're going to look at several characteristics, and it's been called the golden chain of the Bible, because there's, there's one characteristic that leads to another, that leads to, to another, and there's some incredible promises that are given to these characteristics. And this is a challenge to grow. It says, add to your faith virtue. In the Greek language, the word add, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. God is commanding action to us. The Greek word speaks of a chorus. 
So, so add to your faith virtue. You know, it's saying you picture a, a symphony and you're adding these, these instruments to what's taking place. Our faith saves us. Let's be clear on that. It's faith in Christ alone, his death and his resurrection. It's a free gift. And then receiving salvation, God wants us to grow. God wants us to, to add to it virtue, not for the sake of earning salvation. I want to be clear on that. You're not adding virtue to be saved. You're already saved. You're adding virtue because you are saved. <laughs> You're adding virtue because you are God's child. You're adding virtue because you've received God's divine promises. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. You've obtained a, a precious faith. So, so now it's time to grow. And it provokes the question, why were we saved? We were saved to be the child of God and for God to radically change our lives. For our lives to not look like what they were before we knew Christ as our Savior. So we're giving all diligence to add to faith virtue. Now, what in the world's virtue, right? It's not a word we use a lot. It means goodness or moral excellence. It speaks of wonderful full acts. We're speaking of, of good character here. God, God wants us to pursue goodness, to consume to pursue moral excellence. And we go on. So you picture a chain. First you have faith, and you add to that virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge. God wants us to grow in our understanding of Christ and his plan for our lives. And this is an endless pursuit. Always growing in the knowledge of God. Always growing in the understanding of who he is and the depths of, of his word. I hope you have a healthy appetite to grow in the knowledge of God. And again, the idea here is diligence. So, so what am I doing to add moral excellence to my life? What, what am I being intentional about so there's moral excellence in my life? How, how am I being intentional about growing in the knowledge of Christ? A great way is to read God's word. You know, to, to get diligent about that. To pray before you start. You know, maybe ask some people who have walked with the Lord. You know, what are three Christian books that have changed your life? And, and say, you know, I, I'm going to actually pick up some books. I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm also going to read some, some books that point, point to truth and expound truth and really say, I'm going to add, add knowledge. I, I want to learn. Maybe for years you've been coming to RMC and you've been hearing about men's study and women's study and you haven't taken one or it's been years since you've taken one. And maybe this year you go, you know what? I'm going to sign up in January. I, I want to grow. I, I, I want to grow in the, the, the knowledge of Christ, you know? Okay, I'm going to get a, a Bible app, and I'm, while I'm driving in my car, I'm going to listen to the Bible being, being, being read, or I'm going to listen to some podcasts of some good, good biblical teaching. But, but unfortunately, knowledge just doesn't come by osmosis, doesn't it, you know? And I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you guys are here on Wednesday night in December, you're, you're here because you want to grow in, in the, the knowledge of God. And so we add that. We add that to, to the golden chain. But then to knowledge, self-control, verse 6. So first we have faith. Faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge. See how they're in a, a pattern in their building? And then to knowledge, self-control. It's going to be difficult to have self-control without the knowledge of Christ. And Knowledge of Christ, relationship with him, the Holy Spirit, that we're going to be able to have self-control. Our sinful flesh 
self, what the Bible called self, desperately needs to be controlled, right? We don't want to say everything we think. We don't want to say everything we feel. We don't want to just let every emotion out, out of the bag. Yeah, we need to, to speak when we've thought about it, when we've prayed about it. We need to share our emotions when we have an opportunity to, to control it. This is surrendering our actions and our attitudes to the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit to bring us self-control. And God's saying, go for it with diligence. Pursue self-control. You know, don't believe this lie that, well, you're destined to be the way you've always been. You're, you're destined to fly off the handle or, or give in to sinful lust. There can be self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to press into this, surrender myself to you, and ask that you would give me self-control. It's, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Man, and the Holy Spirit is painfully good at this in our lives. If we're listening, he's speaking in those moments, and he's saying, Eric, shut your mouth, you know? Like, stop. You're going to say something or do something that that you're, you're going to regret. I mean, we can almost feel it inside of our souls that we're like a, a pot of oatmeal on the stove that's beginning to boil. And within seconds, it's going to boil over. And the Holy Spirit is saying, get off of the element, right? Like, just stop. And you're like, no, I, I got to get in the last word or I got to make my point or he, he, here I go. And if we'll be in a place of listening, the Holy Spirit will be faithful to say, hey, look, don't, don't go there. You, you know where this is going to go. Hey, it's one o'clock at night, and you're up online surfing the internet. Guys, you know where that's going to go. It's going to lead to pornography and sexual sin, and the Holy Spirit's saying, shut the internet off. Go to bed, you knucklehead. Like, nothing good is going to happen from the internet at one in the morning. Like, the news can wait till you're more alert, Right? That, that's listening to, to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to want us to be self-controlled as we drive and say, just, just let him have that space on the highway. No, that's my space on the highway, right? You know? And it's, it's easy to preach this from the pulpit, but it's hard to live, right? It, it's hard when my life is in the pressure cooker, when, it, when I feel the heat or I feel the pressure. And so it's important to, to add self-control. See, see, God wants us growing. He wants us growing in, in Christian character. And then t- to self-control perseverance. There's something about our mindset, I think especially as Americans, is we're so reward goal driven that, that hard work always results in a more comfortable life for me, the American dream, that if I finally start to live with self-control, that that means everything's just going to start to change in my life. You know? If, if my wife starts to see me acting in self-control, then she's just going to be like, oh, I respect you so much. You know? My kids are just going to respond to my leadership because I am now self-controlled. My boss is going to notice and he's going to be like, 10% raise for you because you're so self-controlled, Right? And what does the Bible say? Well, once you have self-control, be determined to have perseverance because not everything's going to change in your life overnight. And you're doing this for God's glory, not for men. And in fact, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. You may hear things from your spouse like, oh, you're such a goody two-shoe now, right? You think you're so high and mighty because you don't lose your temper or whatever, you know? 
Your boss is like, hey, you're, you're so self-controlled, you're not so effective at your job anymore. I'm taking away 5%, right? This isn't saying if you're self-controlled that your life's gonna be easier. It's, hey, you're self-controlled, your life's gonna be more Christ-like, and are we committed to that even when it's hard? And the word perseverance, it means staying under. It's staying under pressure. It's continuing on when the load is heavy. And this might be exactly where your character is at tonight. Where you look at your character and you go, man, there's areas for me to grow in all of these things, but God's really speaking to me in perseverance. I need to not give up. And that is a characteristic that God can develop in our lives if we're willing through his power, through his promises, where we say, man, everything inside of me feels like giving up, but I know I'm walking in obedience. I know I'm surrendered to the Lord. I know this is exactly what God wants me to do. So even though everything inside of me says it's not worth it, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna persevere. And then persevere, to persevere, godliness. And godliness is Christ-like character, that we would grow in godliness. And then to godliness, Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is a fervent care for others, and kindness goes so far. And God's saying, be diligent to show brotherly kindness to others. And then lastly, and to brotherly kindness, love, the the last chain. Love is the highest goal. The symphony begins with faith, and it ends with love. What does God intend for our lives to look like where we're more loving towards him and we're more loving towards others? Now notice the promise that goes with these characteristics in our lives. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we will walk in this type of characteristic, allow the Lord to grow this kind of Christian character, then we're not gonna be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. So this is again convicting and challenging is the way that I live affects my understanding of Christ. You can have two people read the word of God, but depending on our filter, depending on our glasses, get two entirely different things out of it. And and I'm not saying that the message changes, I'm saying that the person reading it. So so I, I'm really not open to what the word of God is saying because of things in my life. So it's like my glass is just being filled with, with mud and I'm, I'm looking and I go, I can't get anything out of this. And God's like, well, you gotta clean your glasses first. Then, then you'll, then you'll get, something, get something out of this. And the blessing of having this godly character is then you're not unfruitful or barren when it comes to the knowledge of Christ. See, Jesus is light, He's light. And he says, if we want fellowship with him, we have to to walk in the light. So if I want to enjoy a greater understanding of him, a greater knowledge of him, then I've got to be willing to do things his way. I've got to be willing to to walk in the light. You know, it's going to be difficult to watch a bunch of things on TV that don't glorify the Lord, then get in your Bible and get a lot out of it. All right? It's going to be hard to go through the whole week living for ourselves filling it up with all kinds of sinfulness and coming to church and get a lot out of it, you know? That, that, that's really the essence of what this verse is saying is, is the way that you live affects the knowledge of Christ that you receive. And so if we want a greater knowledge of Christ, man, then dedicate yourself to that, that Christian character. 
In verse 9, But he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So if someone reads this and goes, you know, man, virtue just sounds like too much hard work. You know, or, man, knowledge and perseverance, and, man, I believe, and that's enough, and I don't really want to press in. I don't, I don't really want to grow. Then Peter says, through the inspiration of the Spirit, you're blind. You're, you're short-sighted, and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from, from your old sins. You, you've forgotten that God's forgiven you so that he could change and transform your life. In verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to making your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will ne- never stumble. Peter's encouraging us to, to challenge ourselves to make sure that we know and trust the Lord for, for salvation. Now, if we know the Lord and we trust the Lord and we've received that free gift of salvation, then we know that we have everlasting life. I think you know if you're the child of God. The Spirit of God bears witness with you. And Peter's saying, make sure, you know. I think Peter's almost saying, if, if there's no desire to grow, then, then ask, ask some hard questions. Have I truly trusted Christ and, and received him? And then also there's this great promise here that says, if you're living in these characteristics that we've just studied, then you'll never stumble, you know. It doesn't, doesn't mean you're perfect, but it does mean that, hey, man, I, I'm concerned with virtue, I'm concerned with knowledge, I'm concerned with perseverance, and it, it's going to keep us from falling away from the Lord. It, it's going to keep us from, from stumbling. So some great promises, some great motivations to want to continue to grow in the Lord. In verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no doubt where you stand with Christ and everlasting life. That's what verse 11 is saying. Man, you've lived for the Lord. You've served the Lord. You've trusted him. And so your entrance into eternal life is, is abundantly. Yeah. Everybody knows at your funeral, whether they're a believer or unbeliever, where you stood for Christ, with Christ, that you, you belonged to Christ. And what a day that's going to be to be welcomed into God's presence. In verses 12 through 15, we're going to see this uh, stirring up in the way of reminder. It says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter's writing to people who know the word and are established in the word, and Peter says, I'm not going to neglect to give you a reminder. He doesn't want them to forget. How much of what we hear do you think we remember? That's a tough one, right? Statistics tell us that 20% of what we hear we'll remember, but 30% of what we see and hear. So if you hear something and you see it, you're more likely to remember it. You're 70 more percent to remember of what you hear and you write down. Think about it. When you're headed to the store and your spouse is like, you know, uh, could you get this, this, and this? And you know you need this, this, and this. If you write it down and you're in the grocery store, you're more likely to come back with what you needed, right? But if you're like, I don't need to write it down, and you get to the store, it's like, I know there's this, this, and this, but I can't remember this. So my mother-in-law called me this morning before I came to work, and she's like, I need a Christmas list from Eileen. 
So I asked Eileen, what do you what do you want for Christmas? And she told me three things. And it took me till today at four to remember all three things. You know, and at different parts of the day, I remembered like two out of the three, but I, then, it, then I'd forget, but I finally got it at four. But my mother-in-law didn't get the text till four, right? So if you write it down, you, man, it goes way, 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 way up. And then if we hear it, write it, and do it 90%. If we hear it, write it, and do it, it goes up to 90%. It's very difficult to, to remember the things that we're hearing so Peter knows this, and he's willing to bring about a reminder so that God's people will remember. God is all about jogging our memory. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, they took the strongest guys from the 12 tribes and said, I want you to grab a rock from the Jordan River, because God had dried up the Jordan River. And then they took these 12 rocks, and they put them together to be a memorial so future generations would be walking by and going, Dad, Mom, what's up with all those rocks piled up? And they'd say, well, that was because God worked on our behalf and he dried up the Jordan River. I think that's a good way to remember God's faithfulness in our lives, is take something visual that reminds you of God's faithfulness. You know, if you're in the hospital and God was faithful during that time, Save the bracelet and put it in a frame. And your kids and grandkids will be like, what in the world's that? Right? Well, let me tell you of what, of what God uh, did, did in my life. You know, something visual that you can see that's going to remind you of God's faithfulness. But God had the children of Israel build memorials. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. What is communion all about? It's God's way of stirring a reminder. He says, I never want you to forget the death of my son. I never want you to forget his broken body and his shed blood. It's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about what I have done for you. And so we're, we're told to do this in remembrance of Christ so that we would, would never forget. There's so much about being stirred up in the way of, of reminder. In verse 16, he says, yes, I think it right as long as I'm in this tent so to stir you up by remembering, by reminding you. Peter viewed his life as being in a tent. He never thought that this body was a permanent dwelling place. If you go tent camping, true tent camping, I'm not talking about an RV, Class C RV, a trailer that you pull. That's not true tent camping. I'm talking about a tent that you actually put up and you sleep on the ground or an air mattress. You with me? Is you know that that is temporary. You go, this is fun for two or three days, tops. And then I don't have a shower. I don't have a proper restroom. I don't have running water. I don't have my own bed. This tent is nice, but it's a temporary dwelling place. And I can't wait to get home. Amen on that, right? Some of you have like, I have put tent camping behind me. I don't do that anymore, right? And so this is how, <laughs> yeah, amen, right? And so this is how Peter views his life. He's like, it's, it's just temporary. I'm about ready to put off this tent, so I'm going to give you a reminder. And that's a healthy way to, to view our lives. In verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ had showed me, he knows that he's about ready to die. In John 21, Jesus spoke to Peter and predicted his death. And I'll read that to you. 
It said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And the Lord had prepared Peter's heart in regards to, to his death. And he knows that that time is coming. In verse 15, moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Man, you can't get away from Peter. Peter's like, even after I'm dead, you're going to get this reminder, right? It's like somebody dying and knowing that they're going to die, and then they're like, I'm just going to do some auto emails that you're going to continue to get every month for the next 15 years, right? It's like, so Peter was going to set up others to give this message of the importance of God's divine nature, his divine power and promises, and the importance of continuing to grow. And it worked. Here we are, almost 2,000 years later, talking of Peter's reminder. So let's try to find some application as we close. Are we taking advantage of all that God has offered? You know, do, do we live in a place of defeat where we go, man, my character can't change. I'm destined to continue in this cycle of sin. Or do we believe the word of God? We say, everything that I need for life and godliness has been provided to me. By God's divine power, he has already given that to me. You know, do we begin to hold on to the promises of God? God's promises are offered. Do I hold on to them by faith? Am I going to access these things through deeper knowledge of Christ? Am I adding anything to my faith? And I mean this lovingly to, to all of us, myself included. Are we growing? You know, are we giving diligence to growing in the Lord? Right? And it's so important to trust Christ for salvation. But now that you've trusted Christ for salvation, now what? Now, what's God's heart? Where, where does he desire for you? Okay, here it is. And begin to live in 2 Peter chapter 1. Say, okay, virtue, that, that's it. That's, that's moral excellence, goodness, wonderful acts. God, I need to, I need to grow in, in virtue. I'm going to press into that area of my character. And just, just begin to continue to, to press in. And I do promise this. There's enough material in what we read tonight to have a lifetime of work, right? There's, there's always more virtue to be pressed into, always more knowledge to be pressed into, and more, and more perseverance. But am I adding anything to my faith? And then finally, am I willing to receive a reminder? Am I willing to receive a reminder? One of the dangers, I think, of, of how much that we study God's word. And could there be a danger of, of studying God's word too much? Maybe so, unfortunately. And I think it's worth the risk. I really do. But our mind goes, I've heard this before. Our mind goes, I know this. I've taught this. I can quote this. I know Second Peter chapter 1. And because of that, we let ourselves off the hook of what the intended desire for God's word in our lives. And that was part of the danger of the Pharisees. Is they were around the word of God a lot, but the word of God wasn't getting in, in, into them. And, and so, you know, are we humble enough to allow the Lord to remind us? You know, even though you know this, no, even though you're established in this, where God can send you a reminder, where a brother or sister in Christ can, can give you a reminder. So let's enter into the reminder that God has given us in communion to allow it to be fresh tonight. This is God's memorial of his faithfulness, of the work of Jesus upon the cross. 
that God became flesh, dwelt among us, died for our sins, and rose again, that, that we get to spend time with Christ tonight. We've talked about Christ, we've read about Christ, but now to spend time with Christ in, in communion. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we don't want to simply be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers. And we thank you that you've given us so much. You've given us salvation and your spirit dwells in us and your divine power and promises and nature. We're partakers of your nature. Amazing. And God, you want to challenge us to grow. Lord, may we not live in defeat or not see any hope for you to change our lives. May we be fruitful in the knowledge of you. May we have greater understanding of of who you are. God, would you begin to just remind us of things that we need to know about you, our relationship with you and serving others. And even as we take communion tonight, would it be a powerful reminder of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.